1: I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host. PD, Petey. Remember kill listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed the Islander game. Boy, oh boy, it was a great game. I've been dealing with the flu all week. It's been horrible. My girlfriend has the flu. Her mother's in the hospital. She has the flu. It's been horrible. But I'm here, ladies and gentlemen, I was here for the sports loudmouths this week every single Wednesdays and Thursdays at 7pm go to our website at worldwidesportsradio.com. Merry Christmas to all the fans out there and a happy new year. We're very happy to entertain you for the next two hours after this Islander game. Speedy, what's up?
2: Merry Christmas and happy holidays to all if you're traveling right now, thank you for listening to us as your source of entertainment. If you're cooking, prepping, wrapping gifts, whatever you're doing right now to get ready Christmas Eve tomorrow, Christmas Day on Monday, thank you for listening to us all holiday weekend and all year
1: long. It's not snowing. It's been a little cold. I like this. And when there's cold and a change of weather, the flu comes out and COVID's coming out and everybody's getting sick. Christmas time might be a sickly Christmas time, but we're happy to be here. We have a great show lined up for you guys a little bit later in the show, and I know you hockey fans are ready for this. Ranger fans know who he is because he was the one that brought a Stanley Cup home to the New York Rangers in 1994. And the Islander fans know who he is because for a little bit of time, general manager, our friend, on the show. Neil Smith will be joining us. It's going to be fun, ladies and gentlemen. Definitely, it's must listen to. MLB Yamamoto signs with the Dodgers for 12 years, $325 million. I am so surprised because I was so sold that he was going to sign with the Yankees. Glass now goes to the Dodgers. He signs the extension. I did not think they were going to dig deep and pay Yamamoto over $300 million. And this was a good contract, too. $27 million for the next 12 years. He's going to get an average pay, and that's Carlos Rodon money, but he's never pitched in the major leagues. I love the kid. We have Butch Chaffin, United States coach on the show this past week, and he says he's going to be a stud, but this is crazy. The Dodgers are controlling the offseason. The Brewers will most likely trade Corbin Burns now, either this offseason or during the season. And I believe Corbin Burns is on everybody's Christmas list right now. The Mets definitely, and the Yankees. <laughs> Don't be surprised if you hear a lot of stories coming out with the Mets and the Yankees, because they're going to be fighting for the great Corbin Burns. Aaron Rodgers says he is officially not returning this season. He's not retiring either, because on the Pat McAfee show, he said that he plans to play past 2024. So he's planning to play at least two years as long as they can protect him, and actually give him some sense of offense. You might see Aaron Rodgers for at least two to three years. Could Robert Sala be fired at the end of the season? There's going to be a lot of questions with Robert Sala, especially bombing the second half of a season back-to-back years it's not good for rob chargers express interest in hiring jim harbaugh as the next head coach another big name and we're going to hear a couple of big names this offseason that could be available another one bill belichick mike vrabel could be available at the end of the season so we'll see three for all picks of the week nba news mitchell robertson does this ever not stop happening robertson is out for the season with an ankle fracture And he just had surgery. He is out for the season. Maybe he comes back in the playoffs if the Knicks move forward into the playoffs. Maybe get out of the first round. Ankle injury like this, it's going to be at least three months of rehab. Maybe we see Mitch Robinson sometime in the playoffs, if the Knicks even make the playoffs. They look like they are. The Cavaliers are likely not to trade Donovan Mitchell this season. I still don't believe that. Cavaliers are not playing good basketball right now. They need as much players as they can to build around this team because Donovan Mitchell already said, He's not re-signing with the Cavaliers. There's a lot that they could lose if they let Donovan Mitchell go to his final year of his contract and not have traded him because then he's not going to be worth anything and he's going to sign with the Knicks anyways in the offseason. So it's not good for the Cavaliers right now. Lakers and Kings interested in Zach Levine. Zach Levine, who's a great offensive player, has done nothing defensively. Does this benefit for the Lakers if they add Zach Levine? No. Does this benefit for Sacramento if they add Zach Levine? The answer? No. They don't need another shooter on a team that could shoot. It doesn't make sense, but we'll get into it. And Moneyline Mania with Papo's Paolo and Reno Johnny. Let's get into it. This has been the big story ever since Otani signed. Because everybody wants to know where Yamamoto was going. Last week, Tyler now was traded to the Dodgers. And then they signed him. They gave him an extension. After that, I did not think that the Dodgers were going to go after Yamamoto. Maybe they knew something about Yamamoto not coming to the Dodgers, saying they needed to jump on Tyler Glass now. ESPN Jeff Passan reports that the Dodgers have signed Yamamoto to a 12-year, $325 million contract. The Dodgers will pay an additional million posting fee to his Japanese team, the Oryx Buffaloes. Yamamoto will also receive a $50 million signing bonus. Ken Rosenthal reports that Yamamoto's contract will have two different opt-outs after the sixth and eighth year of the deal. The Yankees and Mets were reportedly willing to give him $300 million, but would not go any higher than that. Yamamoto's deal is largest amount of total money given to a pitcher surpassing Garrett Cole's contract of $324 million. If I was Garrett Cole, I wouldn't be happy. Because this guy has been a Cy Young candidate every single year since he's been a Yankee except one. Every single year, he was a top five American League pitcher except one. And that was the spider attack year. This is a problem. When you see Otani defer the majority of his money, he's only taking... million a year from that contract. And the reason why he's doing that is because of the endorsements, the advertisers that are going to pay him. He's going to make still $50 million a year. He's still making the most money in the majors. New Balance is paying him. He's got a ton of money coming to him. Does he really care if he gets the rest of that $700 million contract after his career? No. Because he'll still be in the prime of his life and he'll still be able to spend it. Yamamoto is a fantastic pitcher. I wanted him to go to the Yankees. I think he would have been perfect to the rotation, especially if Garrett Cole decides to opt out of his contract next year, which he will, especially with Yamamoto getting this kind of contract. Now, Yamamoto is 25 years old, and Garrett Cole's 33, going to be 34. Garrett Cole is an elite pitcher still, and he still has at least three more good years possibly four. He's never had arm problems. Elbow, shoulder problems. This guy's been fairly healthy with his throwing arm. Yamamoto, Japanese pitcher, everybody knows the Japanese likes to get these guys on the mound every fourth day, and they throw a lot. Yamamoto throws more than any American League pitcher has done in the last past year. Now, I love Yamamoto. I think he's going to be a fantastic talent in baseball, and I think he's going to fit very, very Well, in LA with the Dodgers with Otani. Could you imagine that one two punch when Otani actually steps on the mound again in a year? Otani. Yamamoto now Kershaw will be gone but Kershaw wants to win another championship and the Dodgers are trying to give it to him but they have a tremendous amount of good young pitchers that they didn't trade away when they got Tyler Glass they have Tyler Glass now Bueller too coming back that's right think about their rotation in two years from now Otani Yamamoto Tyler Glass now Walker Bueller and then Clayton Kershaw Could you imagine one of the greatest pitchers of this era, Clayton Kershaw, will be their fifth starter in this rotation? How disgusting is that rotation? The middle of their lineup will be Mookie Betts, an MVP candidate every year, Freddie Freeman and Otani. If you are not upset, I understand there's never going to be a no salary cap. The Players Union will never allow it. But baseball is allowing this. And this deferred money, which has been around for a long time. Freddie Freeman has deferred money. He's not going to get all his money until 2050. And then even Mookie Betts has deferred money coming to him all the way till 2045. So they've been doing it for a long time, but never at $68 million a year. It's unbelievable. I love Yamamoto. I think it's going to be fantastic to watch him play in America. But I think he's playing for the wrong team. Yeah, it's weird because I was thinking
2: that with Otani's deferred money, I was thinking they were going to go after more in quantity in order to make sure that they still have enough pitching when they get the depth back. Bueller will come back. We just have to see how he comes back. Now I think he's a great pitcher. I think he'll be fine, but there's still always the risk. Glasnow is the same kind of thing—injury-prone guy. Great when he's healthy. Now the Dodgers have always done well at rebirthing a lot of these veteran pitchers that have struggled with other teams. So that you could trust that kind of system. So that's why I'm kind of surprised, and I was surprised that they would be willing to give him that many years too, because we were thinking, okay, a seven-year deal was going to be what he was going to get. Then all of a sudden, last week it's reported it's a ten-year deal, which I was surprised at in itself. And I thought any team that was going to be a ten-year deal was a team that would be more desperate, like the Red Sox, like the Giants, panicking they didn't get Otani if their division.
1: And rival get Yamamoto. The whole opt out situation, the only reason why they have an opt out because he probably is planning to opt out. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't work in six years, he's going to opt out. If he doesn't get along with Otani, he's going to opt out. If he doesn't get along with some of the players on this roster, he's going to opt out. I believe in 12 years, especially with Otani Yamamoto, if they don't win four rings, it's a failure. If they win one or two in 12 years, it's an absolute failure for the amount of money they've invested in these players, and I know they're still going to bring in a lot of jersey sales, and they're going to make billions and billions of dollars over these guys. Yamamoto, you don't know what he has or what he's going to do in the MLB. We know what he's done in Japan. We've known so many Japanese pitchers that have come to the league. They've had one good year, their first year, and completely fallen off. Dice K being one of them. It has not worked. It might be Tanaka and Otani in the last 15 years. A Japanese pitcher has been called up, and has actually been successful in the league. And also the durability
2: factor, too, because all the ones that have even been good that have come over have had their own share of injury issues, too. We talked about Otani having multiple arm injuries. You Darvish was another one that had two Tommy John surgeries, and he's come back and been okay, but it's kind of inconsistent since those injuries. And you look at Tanaka, too. He's had more nagging injuries. I don't think he's had any major injuries, but definitely enough where you could say he was still
1: kind of injury prone. And you give a guy that you've never seen step on a mound in the major leagues, in the MLB. By the way, the balls are bigger in the MLB. It's going to take him a while to figure out the grip. He might not be able to throw all his pitches early in his career because he's going to have to figure out how he's going to throw them. So if it works, the Dodgers are brilliant. They have done everything right this offseason, adding two fantastic Japanese pitchers. I call the Otani contract brilliant because
2: of the deferred money and because of the way they were able to spread it out. Now this contract is going to be spread out long term for 12 years for a pitcher that has a lot of risk too because of the rules of the Japanese game. Now will he be able to adjust to a faster pace with the pitch clock? Now there's a new rule coming out that the pitch clock with runners on base is going to be shorter now, eighteen by, seconds by a couple seconds. Now he's young. I, I don't think it'll be a big issue for him, but the inconsistency factor of Japanese pitchers could be there, and the injury risk of Japanese pitchers could be there for a guy you're going for twelve years. And that's why I'm surprised they did this kind of move when they had issues last year developing depth when a lot of those guys went down too. And the whole Urias situation—he's not going to pitch again in baseball only yep. after a domestic violence thing. They still got their other top prospect, Dustin May. They got hurt. He had to have Tommy John surgery. So when they didn't have much starting pitching in the playoffs, it really hurt them. And if they have that kind of issue because Otani's not pitching this year, they might have to be more creative with that kind of thing, but giving one guy who could also get hurt too, $300 million
1: might not have been the move. Thank God the Yankees didn't get Yamamoto. Thank God that the Mets didn't get Yamamoto, because right now the Yankees already have come out and said that they don't want to give 10-year contracts, and I know Steve Cohen doesn't want to do that, especially with the whole Correa thing in the offseason last year. I could see the Yankees only offering a nine-year, $300 million contract. The Yankees didn't want to go higher than that. They didn't want to give him any more years. Yamamoto was probably thinking Yankees or Dodgers if the Yankees gave him maybe 10 years, 325. I think he takes that. I think he goes to the Yankees. But the Yankees would have strapped themselves with Yamamoto. And who's to say that Yamamoto doesn't tear his UCL? Who's to say he doesn't tear his shoulder? Remember, there's a lot of torque in that arm. And he's been playing in the Japanese League since he was 17 years old. So he has a lot of torque on that arm in high competitive baseball in Japan. From the Mets
2: perspective, they're not one of those teams that can take that kind of risk of giving one pitcher all that money and all those years, too, because the Mets need so much depth. And that's why I was more encouraged with them trying to make a trade for a pitcher and try to build up that
1: way. Did you see Otani at the LA Rams game? He looked really, really happy. He was taking pictures. I remember when they put him on the big screen, he was covering his face. He didn't want the stardom. He didn't want the cameras on his face, which is crazy. He's the biggest, most popular player right now in baseball. He's the next Babe Ruth, which I think is ridiculous. There was only one Babe Ruth. And I know everybody's trying to compare Babe Ruth's numbers in the first couple of Years of his career and his numbers. It's a different game. It was a different sport than you can't compare it. And Otani will never be compared to Babe Ruth. I would never put him in the same comparison of one of the greatest, if not the greatest baseball player to ever play the game. He's going to need at least seven
2: more of these types of years. More in order than to do that. that. Because Babe Ruth did that, especially as a hitter, transcending it from the dead ball era. There were no home runs, barely hit in the dead ball era. Then all of a sudden this guy, Babe Ruth, comes along and now everybody's hitting home runs. Yep. So the influence on the game still has to be there for at least seven more years. I, I think should, more. I yeah. think 10 years, because he's only
1: played in a league for four out of five years because mm-hmm. of injury. You're talking about probably 10 years, 14 years of consistency before you could be even compared to Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth was averaging 50 home runs or more every single year, and he was the best player in baseball. Otani, it's back and forth. He hasn't been the best player in baseball for the last five years. He's been the best player in baseball probably two out of the last five years, so he still has to give more before you compare him to arguably the greatest baseball player to ever live. The one thing that
2: will he end up doing in a tougher era with these bigger athletes well, a lot more injuries now you see, him being a two-way player in itself is still going to be very transcendent as it is, and that's why he ended up getting all this money. Now, we'll see how it works for the Dodgers in terms of the long-term, because these are big risks giving out that contract to Yamamoto. A lot of other injury-prone players in that Dodgers system. That's why I'm glad the Mets didn't take that chance, because the Mets always have players hurt. That whole Correa situation last year definitely shying Steve Cohen away from giving out that kind of money. And the Yankees, same kind of thing. They have a lot of injury-prone players on this team, likely using Garrett Cole. they got to invest more in depth.
1: MLB.com, Mark Feinstein reports that the Brewers will likely trade Corbin Burns either in the offseason or during the season. If the teams were to trade for him in the offseason, Burns would be open to get qualifying offers, something that wouldn't be available once the season starts. Former MLB catcher Eric Kratz, uh, ex-teammate of Burns, says that it would have to get blown away by a potential extension for him to not enter free agency in 2025. The Yankees, Braves, Blue Jays, Rangers are teams likely to deal for Burns last season Burns had a 3.39 ERA a 1.07 whip 66 walks and 200 strikeouts in 194 innings pitched in his career Burns has a 3.26 ERA a 1.05 whip 206 walks 870 strikeouts in 709 innings pitched. Corbin Burns is one of the best pitchers that are going to be available in the offseason next year there's a lot of questions on where he could go if he gets traded this year I could see the Brewers trading him at the trade deadline because they they can get the most out of him. If he has a good season, they're not re-signing him. He does not want to go back to the Brewers. They need to get as much as they can for him. If they let him go to free agency, they're going to lose him for nothing. I can't see the Brewers doing it. I think Corbin Burns is one of the best pitchers in baseball right now. He's in not even in the prime of his career. He's 27. A tremendous pitcher that could pitch in the National League, the American League. He could pitch anywhere. I think his stuff is as good as anybody's in baseball. I could see the Red Sox getting involved with this very, very quickly. I know their names are not being brought up, but I could see the Red Sox. The Yankees do lose out on Yamamoto, I do believe the Yankees will go full force after Corbin Burns because he would fit perfectly in this rotation. You put him at number two, and if Garrett Cole decides to opt out of his contract in the offseason, which he probably will, he could be their number one guy.
2: Yeah, you wonder too, with a new front office, David Serves leaving for the Mets, new GM, new executives all at once, trying to deal with this kind of thing with Corbin Burns, who had a kind of a down year for his standards. He was great the previous three years, won a Cy Young, was even good as a reliever in the first couple years of his career with the Brewers. Those years they made the playoffs, they almost made it to the world series, and his value is still going to be very good because he's a guy that has great strikeout stuff and has been pretty consistent year to year. That's what's going to make it hard for the Brewers to try to get that kind of value back now, and you wonder if they don't get that kind of value right away are they going to wait into the season, see if he gets back to that quote-unquote peak form, and if the Brewers still aren't competing, then try to trade him at that point What scares me is, when you look at the Mets like, the Mets, it's perfect for that kind of thing for them to be able to trade for him, because they're going to get him on a low they just restocked this farm system nicely and they still need a lot of pitching really badly no matter what, but now the Braves are in on it too, and Braves have a lot of young players to trade, too. The Rangers have a lot of young players to trade. I wouldn't be surprised if the Red Sox are in it as well.
1: The Red Sox will definitely be in it. Right now, their names are not being brought up. And the Braves will be in it because they have a great farm system. Oh, yeah. Every team that has a good farm system, the Blue Jays being another one. The Yankees don't. So the Yankees are going to have to really nitpick on who they want to trade for Corbin Burns. They just gave away one of their best young pitchers and, I believe, a future Cy Young candidate. I think the Yankees did what they needed to do to add Soto, and we'll see if they can resign him. But Corbin Burns is going to be a big name. The Mets are definitely going to be in on him. When we come back, some Aaron Rodgers conversation. As the New York Jets and Aaron Rodgers have decided, finally, he's officially not returning this season. Maybe because they're 100% out of the playoffs. When we come back, we will get into that. And Jim Harbaugh could be the head coach of the Chargers or maybe the Washington Commanders. When we come back, we'll get into football conversation and our three-for-all picks of the week. Here on the Weekend Crunch. A little home alone, ladies and gentlemen! Merry Christmas! And a happy New Year! Welcome back! You're listening to The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy. Speedy, remember you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time Only on 103.9, the L.I. News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the Worldwide Sports Radio website by going to worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including the Loudmouth, every single Wednesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m., all you have to do to check our local listings is go to WorldWideSportsRadio.com. And if you miss any one of our shows, find the sports loudmouth. You can go to Apple Podcasts, you can go to Spotify, or you can go to our Apple Podcasts and Spotify for the World Wide Sports Radio Network, where we have five shows right now that airs live throughout our network throughout the week. Find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, World Wide Sports Radio network. Aaron Rodgers. Finally, the Jets have done something right. Finally! As Aaron Rodgers finally says, he's officially not returning this season on the Pat McAfee show. It seems like he makes all the decisions over there in Jetville because it seems like Robert Sala and Nathaniel Hackett is coming back from this dreadful season offensively, but Aaron Rodgers is not coming back, but he is going to be practicing with the team. You will see Aaron Rodgers, but you will not see him in a regular season game. So if you want to see him, if the practices are open, you get to see him on the field, on the practice field! Aaron Rodgers said on the Pat McAfee show he is 100% sure he is not playing this season. Rodgers also believes that Robert Sala, Joe Douglas and Nathaniel Hackett should stay here. ESPN's Dan Graziano reports that Robert Sala's seat is hotter than people think as the Jets head coach. He also mentioned that since Woody Johnson didn't hire Sala, could be more of an incentive for him to get rid of Sala. Sala is 16-33 and 33 in his coaching career with only three wins in three years in the month of November and December. After losing 30 to nothing to the Dolphins in Week 15, the Jets are officially eliminated from the playoffs. Nobody thought that Aaron Rodgers was coming back unless the Jets definitely had a chance to make the playoffs. The Jets didn't have a chance to make the playoffs really since the week they lost against Kansas City. And the Jets, all season long, had problems with their offensive line. They've had problems with their offense. They have no Secondary wide receiver, Alan Lazard, has been horrible for the Jets. It was a horrible signing. Aaron Rodgers was one of the reasons why the Jets decided to go after Alan Lazard. And Garrett Wilson is still having a good year, even though he's had terrible quarterback play. There is no excuse. For Jet fans to stick up for Zach Wilson. Now, I feel bad for the kid, the concussion situation, leaving the game. And that could be the last time we see Zach Wilson for the rest of the season. Simi is playing this week. But this team, offensively, has been one of the worst offenses we've ever seen. This offense is putrid. It's terrible. You can't run the ball anymore. Bruce Hall can't touch the ball. And when he does touch the ball, he can't run more than two yards. And usually it's negative yards. They can't throw the ball because if Garrett Wilson isn't double or triple team, you put him in the slot, it doesn't work in the slot. You put him on the outside, it doesn't work on the outside. You have nobody else that can catch the ball. Conklin couldn't catch the ball all season long. He gets one or two catches and then they lose him in field because nobody could get open. Alan Lazard drops the ball more than a milkman could pick up a milk bottle. He can't catch nobody could do anything on this team offensively and the offensive line ever since Elijah Veratucka has been out for the season tearing his Achilles this team can't do anything right Makai Becton is the worst left tackle in the NFL. For all the years that I have tried to stick up for this kid, knee injury after knee injury, even the first year that he played he was amongst the league's top left tackles and they were calling him the big ticket. He's the big lousy ticket now because the Jets are not going to be able to trade him. They might as well ship him to the shipyard. He stinks. There's nobody that will pick up this kid and if they do, they'll move him to the guard position or he'll be riding the bench because he doesn't belong as a starter in the NFL. The guard positions? Lincoln Thomson is a complete bust. Joe Douglas, another failure at the offensive line. He started off really really good, but over the last couple of weeks, the guy cannot block a toothbrush. I don't even think he could block those mini matchbox cars. He stinks. Their right tackle position, you're putting Max Mitchell, he's failed over there. He's failed in the guard position. Nobody could block anybody but Titman. That's the only player on this offensive line that looks like he could amount to anything as an NFL starter. Dalvin Cook has been putrid. It was a terrible pickup. Everybody thought, oh wow, this one two punch. I was one of those guys. This one One-two punch is one of the one-two worst punches. They can't do nothing offensively. And what Miami did to them on Sunday was absolutely embarrassing. Robert Sala. And the fact that you're hearing stories that Mike McDaniels didn't want to put the game out of complete, unreaching heights, which we saw him do against the Broncos, because he's so close with Robert Sala, and he's like, I'm not gonna put it up 70, <laughs> 80 points, because he probably could have. Because the Jets' defense has been on the field 90% of the time, all season long. I feel bad for these defensive players. I feel bad for Sauce Gardner. I feel bad for DJ Reed. I feel bad for CJ Mosley. I feel bad for Quinton Williams. We're trying to find excuses for for this defense. I don't blame the defense. If I was the defense, I'd say, let the offense play defense. I don't want to play. I don't want to be on the field. I don't want to waste my time. It's embarrassing. This team is a complete embarrassment. And Robert Sala, Aaron Rodgers, I don't care what he said on the Pat McAfee show, that he thinks that Robert Sala, Joe Douglas, and Daniel Hackett should keep their job. It's not their fault that he got hurt in the beginning of the season. Let me ask you a question, Aaron. If you didn't get hurt in the first game, do you really think, with this offensive line, you were going to win anything? Do you really think the way this offensive line has been fighting injury after injury? And this offense has been fighting injury after injury. I love Aaron Rodgers. I think he's still one of the elite quarterbacks in the league. I still believe he can stand in the pocket and make accurate throws, darts to anybody he wants to throw to throughout the league. But this team, there's no way they're winning next year if they don't fix this offensive line. And then, Robert Sala. Robert Sala, besides looking pretty on the sideline, nice beautiful beard, shaved head, great shape, showing your muscles tall splendid man standing on the sideline and i remember you on san francisco screaming at the referees dancing and prancing around when your defense isn't listening to you on the sidelines where is that what are you doing sitting over there and itching your nose or scratching your ass or picking yourself what are you doing you're clapping your hands and blowing kisses to the fans Nobody gives a crap about it. This team has played absolute terrible defense in the second half. They've given up on the team in the second half. And offensively, there is no offense. You have Makai Becton laughing on the sideline where you're losing 30 to nothing against the Miami Dolphins. A team that in the beginning of the season, a lot of people thought you were better than. They're going to the playoffs. They could go to the Super Bowl this year, a place that everybody thought you were going to. And then Robert Sala, after the game, making excuses, trying to find ways to snake his way out because he thinks he's safe because Aaron Rodgers, because Aaron Rodgers speaks up and whatever Aaron says goes. It's embarrassing when your quarterback, who hasn't played more than four snaps this year, has to speak out for you. And Joe Douglas, where are you hiding? Are you hiding under the desk, the table, the mic? Before the season started, you're like, we're gonna have a chance to win a Super Bowl. We got Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers played four snaps. Season's over. And we haven't heard from you all season long. All we hear is from the fans. All we hear from Fireman Ed. All we hear is from this garbage of a team that speaks out. Garrett Wilson after the game saying, "I don't know." What do you mean you don't know? You're Garrett Wilson. You were speaking out that you're one of the best wide receivers in football. Nobody can stop you. Why is everybody stopping you this year? I still think you're having a good season for a guy that has no good quarterback play. You still have 800 and some odd yards. You're still going to break the thousand yards with the just terrible quarterbacking. But all the Cowboy fans talking about Ceedee Lamb. Why would we draft Ceedee Lamb? And now CeeDee Lamb, with all the putrid offensive players that the Cowboys have, he still has 1,200 yards, eight touchdowns.
2: It's a tough road when you look at even the defense now finally showing some leaks as well. And Robert Sala, that's your job. You're supposed to game plan this defense, especially when the Dolphins have no Tyreek Hill. Why is Sauce Gardner not shadowing Jalen Waddle at least How 80% open was of he? the time? Yeah. He was beating DJ Reed a lot on both inside routes, slants, and then the deep ball. Sauce Gardner, he wants to play his side. Yeah. We've seen when the Seahawks did that with Richard Sermon after a couple of years, teams, good offenses start to adjust to that kind of thing. And Rosalo was actually on that coaching staff, ironically enough. When you don't adjust, it doesn't matter how good your defense is. A good offense should be able to adjust that kind of thing. And the Dolphins were doing that the entire game. The offense speaks for itself. The offensive line was terrible. The wide receivers, Garrett Wilson's the only one that's doing anything, and even he's getting double teamed. Jalen Ramsey, when you have a top corner like him, shut him down. And C.D. No Lamb's getting double
1: teamed. Why is he getting 100 yards every single game? Yep,
2: and that's because you don't have a game plan for that kind of thing. Now, with Aaron Rodgers still there, Daniel Hackett will probably come back, but it's so just- that Nathaniel Hackett is really more of a product of Aaron Rodgers than anything else at this point. And Robert Sala, if he doesn't start saying the right things, he might be on his way out.
1: The coaching is putrid right now with this team. They have nothing. Ulbrich is probably getting get interviewed in the offseason for a coaching job. I think he's been fantastic as a defensive coordinator. I think he could be very successful in the NFL as a head coach. I think he's done fantastic over the last two years with the Jets' defense, bringing this defense together. Yes, he has weapons, but Robert Sala, for a guy that's a defensive mind, in a second half, where's your team defensive? What is happening in the fourth quarter? Why is everybody giving up? Why is the secondary giving up? I understand they're tired, but they look like they don't even want to be on the field because they know the game is over. It's been over since the first quarter. That's when you
2: also see coaching downfalls start to happen too, is when a talented team lacks effort. And you saw that with the Giants at the end of the McAdoo tenure. The Giants defense in 2016 was really good. 2017, they carry over a lot of the same talent and they just didn't play for him in the second half of the season. They still had Spagnuolo there before he went to the Chiefs, but it was just not a good situation. Chargers with Brandon Staley who just got fired.
1: Go look at what the Jets do in the fourth quarter. Giving up on plays. They're not a great fourth quarter defense. No. They haven't been all season long, and that's when you're trying to win these games. Are you going to do that next year with a better offense and Aaron Rodgers behind the helm? Or are you going to choke because Aaron Rodgers isn't the same quarterback he once was with Green Bay? Yeah, you hope it's just a them being tired thing and not a situational defense mental thing. Where do you come off picking how this team is supposed to be run when you fail every single year? If you're a Jet fan, you can't say it's all peas and carrots. Oh, It's not Zach Wilson's fault. Zach Wilson had an offensive line, he'd be a better quarterback, which is crocky, you-know-what. Going into week three, when he looked putrid, besides against Kansas City, their offensive line was healthy. Elijah Veritaker was there. That offensive line was playing well. Why wasn't he? That's another excuse for the Jets organization to find a way to keep Zach Wilson next year. He doesn't belong here. He shouldn't be here. This is team needs to figure out what their future is at the quarterback position. With Aaron Rodgers coming out and saying he's playing past 2024, so he's playing two years, what are you going to do when he leaves? Everybody keeps (laughs) attacking Woody Johnson. Woody Johnson spends his money. Why is Woody Johnson to be blamed for this? Woody Johnson didn't hire Robert Sala. Did Woody Johnson hire Joe Douglas? He did not. It was Chris. Now, I like Joe Douglas. I still think Joe Douglas could make this right. I don't know if Robert Saleh is the right guy. Look at what Mike McDaniels is doing right now in Miami. The Miami Dolphins are fun to watch. The Jets, it's lousy. I don't know what this team's going to be next year. You're going to have Aaron Rodgers running this team in the offseason. They're going to bring back all these Green Bay Packers. You're going to bring Devontae Adams. Great season again for the New York Jets as we choke again. There's a big difference <laughs> between innovative
2: coaches and guys that are just like stubborn in their own ways. I have this problem with the Jets in years past, too, where the Jets coaches are very stubborn. Mike LaFleur was like that. He wants to run his offense his way and not adjust very well. And Robert Sala is starting to get like that on the defensive side of the ball and that doesn't help for a bad coach.
1: Bleacher reports Jordan Schultz reports the Chargers have expressed interest in bringing in Jim Harbaugh as their next head coach. Harbaugh has a good relationship with the Spano family, having played with them the last two years of his career. Harbaugh can be interviewed by NFL teams after the college football playoff, or when Michigan is eliminated. The Chargers reportedly are looking for an experienced coach, despite also being linked to Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson, who allegedly wants $15 million per year. The Chargers have been stingy on spending money on big-name coaches in the last 20 years since hiring Marty Schottenheimer in 2002. The Chargers are entering the offseason $45 over the salary cap. We all know Jim Harbaugh has been successful in the NFL. The fact that he decided to walk away and go coach Michigan was a surprise. He was wearing out his welcome over there with the 49ers. He was having problems with executives, the GM over there. This is a story that is going to grow legs. If Michigan wins the national championship, he will be a big name that a lot of teams are going to be swarming at. But even if they don't win the national championship, he'll still be a big name. And what Antonio Pierce is doing right now with Vegas, maybe it's enough for a guy like Davis to say, you know what, I want to give Antonio Pierce another year to see if he can push this roster to the next level. Now, Davis likes to go after those big names, a.k.a. John Gruden. He brought in Josh McDaniels. It hasn't worked out. John Gruden did, but all the other stuff that happened, he's now sitting home hoping that he gets a college football job. Jim Harbaugh is going to go to a team that's ready to win now. When he went to the 49ers, even though their record didn't show when he took over that team, they were very talented. They were ready to win. It took him, what, two years to go to a Super Bowl? All he needed to do was help Alex Smith figure out himself as a quarterback in the NFL. He drafted Colin Kaepernick, and he made this team into a championship-contending team. They had a core of players they could build around. Mike Singletary couldn't do that. Jim Harbaugh is not going to take a job with a team that is looking to rebuild and it's going to take five to six years to become a Super Bowl contender. The Chargers are a team that's ready to win now. Their secondary is horrible. As they had J.C. Jackson, who they decided to trade back to the New England Patriots. Here, take it. You look at where the Chargers are right now. This team is spending a lot of money on players they drafted. Mike Williams, Justin Herbert. All these guys are Great pieces you can build championship teams around. The question is Is Jim Harbaugh the number one coach? to the Spanos? Are they fully connected to Jim Harbaugh like these stories are reportedly coming out to believe? Because if Bill Belichick ever becomes available by the New England Patriots, there will be even teams that have coaches right now that will be interested in Bill Belichick. Many factors of the
2: Chargers. The Chargers not wanting to spend for a big-name coach. Are they going to finally change their ways with that 20 years later when they've had talented quarterbacks, they've had pretty good rosters? Are they going to change that kind of thing? Because whether it's Bill Belichick or whether it is Jim Harbaugh or even whether it's Ben Johnson, the young guy the that will Wants a Fifteen lot of money. million. They're going to have to spend either way. So either way, if you want to get that kind of guy in the coach, rather than having to settle for all these coaches you have to settle for, going back to Brad Staley, Mike McCoy, North Turner, average coaches. Are they going to change? Are the Spanos is not going to be cheap? They're finally not being cheap with players. They were cheap with players for years. Now they're finally giving Mike Williams a big contract. They give J.C. Jackson a big one that didn't work. Joey Bosa, they paid. They paid Derwin James. They paid Justin Herbert. Are they finally going to do that with a coach now? Because you're going to have to do that either way. They never wanted to pay Ladanian Tomlinson, and that's right. why he went to the Jets. Vincent Jackson went to the. the. Buccaneers, a lot of their offensive linemen left on that 2007 Chargers team that went to the AFC Championship game. A lot of their defensive players, Sean Merriman, who we interviewed, went to the Buffalo Bills after the Chargers. Like He was a great player. Also, Jim Harbaugh is going to a veteran team. Is him himself going to be able to change his way? Because I think a lot of the fallout with the 49ers is with the veteran players. Now he goes to coach college. He does a very good job with player relationships with Michigan. Now, with the Chargers' salary cap situation, maybe they try to go younger. Maybe they get rid of some of those defensive players. Maybe try to get younger on defense. Are they going to be willing to do that and trade away a lot of that talent another question.
1: It also means, when you think of Jim Harbaugh, you're willing to take on a big mouth. Because right. this guy likes to speak. He wasn't afraid to throw people under the bus. Not his own team, but he was throwing executives under the bus. He said a lot of things when he was on his way out with the 49ers. It rubbed a lot of teams the wrong way, owners the wrong way, and even the San Francisco 49ers the wrong way. Hence the reason why he hasn't taken a job in the NFL the last couple of years. Do I think he could win a Super Bowl as he went to a Super Bowl with the 49ers? He years ago? Absolutely. If his brother could do it, his brother never played in the NFL. His family tree comes from his father. His father coached Michigan. Jim was a quarterback for Michigan. John was always coaching and learning through his father, just like Jim. Jim Harbaugh was a successful quarterback in the NFL. He wasn't a superstar quarterback, but he was a quality quarterback. He played over 10 years in the NFL. So, he knows the quarterback position. If you look at the Chargers, if you go through all the coaches they've ever had, Marty Schottenheimer, he's a great coach. Norv Turner, he was a great offensive coordinator, but could never get over the hump, and players took over the locker room when he was there. Every single coach that's coached over there has failed to get over the hump, and they've had great quarterbacks. They had Phillip Rivers. They had great defensive players. They They've had teams that could win a Super Bowl. They couldn't get over the hump because they didn't have a coach that could push them to that next level.
2: Yeah, and it seems like the pattern is very similar with the types of coaches they want to hire, too. The last three of them have been all young guys, all younger coordinators. Mike McCoy was an offensive coordinator with the Broncos when they got good with Peyton Manning. Brandon Staley obviously came from the Rams, and then in between was Anthony Lynn, who was with the Bills as a running backs coach and was a very young guy. So finally, you need to get some kind of level of an experience coach there. Now, the situation with Harbaugh is going to be interesting to see how he evolves. We talked about retread coaches. Most of the pattern says don't do that. It's worked for Dan Campbell with the Lions. He was an interim head coach of Miami in 2015. A lot of the players liked him, but he didn't last. And then seven years later, gets hired by the Lions, and all the players seem to love him now. The track record beyond that has not been good. We joke about Josh McDaniels all the time. The Giants brought in Pat Shermer. That didn't work. And the Jets with Adam Gase. Get a new innovative guy. But at the same time, the Chargers pattern for that kind of thing has not gone its way. Now, Jim Harbaugh, how much is he going to change in terms of having good relationship with the GM, too? Because he's not going to have that same level of power that he did with with the 49ers nor at Michigan either when he has all this recruiting.
1: And now ladies and gentlemen the three for all picks
2: of the week. We start with the Detroit Lions at the Minnesota Vikings. The over under is 47 and a half. I'm going to go with the upset here. I'm going to take the Vikings. I think the Lions secondary still had a lot of issues. They played well against the Broncos fine but Vikings get a healthier Justin Jefferson. I think Nick Bullins is much more the traditional quarterback that fits that scheme. Give me the Vikings in this one on the over.
1: I love the Lions in this game. 10 and 4 Lions. They're playing good football right now They need to keep winning, they could still win the NFC. If San Francisco gets into a little trouble, maybe the Philadelphia Eagles are going to be trying to find their way out of problems because they've lost three games in a row. If the Lions keep winning, they can continue moving up in the rankings for the playoffs. I love the Lions right now in this game. Goff, fantastic. He's an MVP candidate. I love St. Brown. I love their running game. Gibbs has been sensational. And Montgomery's back. I think they've had a tremendous offensive season. And their defense, they're up and down, but I still think this defense is still valuable to this team. Secondary's questionable. They're going to shut down Justin Jefferson, and we're going to see St. Brown outplay Justin Jefferson on Sunday. Give me the Lions on the money line. I Dolphins. hope everybody loves this enthusiasm tonight. Yes, I am sick, <laughs> but I'm giving you enthusiasm. Yes,
2: indeed. The Dallas Cowboys and the Miami Dolphins, 50 and a half of the over-under. This is going to be an interesting game. Two teams that have very potent offenses, number one and number two offenses in the NFL right now. I'm going to take Miami, though, because their defense since Jalen Ramsey has come back has played much better. The Cowboys, outside of C.D. Lamb, still trying to find that second option. I like Jake Ferguson. I think he plays well in this game, but the rest of their team's been kind of up and down. And Miami, without Tyreek Hill, still put up 30 on the Jets. So give me Miami. It'll be a close game on the over.
1: I'm going to go with Miami because they're the home team. Tyreek Hill is going to be back. I think the Cowboys are going to have problems stopping Waddle and Tyreek Hill. Give me the Miami Dolphins on the money line. Alright,
2: Monday Night Football. The Baltimore Ravens and the San Francisco 49ers. 47 and a half. the over-under. Two phenomenal defenses. Two of the best middle of the field defenses. I'm going to take the Ravens, though, for two reasons. One of which is the Niners' offensive line has had trouble on the interior at certain points. The Ravens have a great interior rush, and I like Lamar Jackson running in this game. The Niners have had trouble with running quarterbacks. I like Zay Flowers to play well in this game as well. Give me the Ravens in a close one. I'll take them on the under.
1: Oh, I have the Ravens. The 49ers are playing great football. They're unstoppable. Their defense is playing well. Their offense is playing well. They could do no wrong. Brock Purdy is an MVP candidate, even though I think McCaffrey's been a better player this year than Brock Purdy has, but nevertheless less I do believe the Baltimore Ravens are going to go into 49erville and knock off the San Francisco 49ers and be the league leader as the Super Bowl contending champion. Give me the Baltimore Ravens on the money line. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Only one different pick this week. I think I'm going to win, ladies and gentlemen. When we come back, some NBA conversation. Mitch Robinson, yes, Mitchell Robinson is out for the season. Not surprised. With an ankle injury. And the Cavaliers likely not to trade Donovan Mitchell. But are they? When we come back, I believe he's still going to the Knicks this year. And I'm going to tell you why when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. Man! Christmas and a happy new year! Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas, ladies and gentlemen! You're listening to The Weekend Crunch! I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co host, Speedy. Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9 the L.I. News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the Worldwide Sports Radio website by going to WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including the Loudmouth every single Wednesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. All you have to do to tune in and listen to our shows and all our local listings is go to WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Mitch, Richie, Richie, oh my God, money, money, and Kusplat, as the New York Knicks overpaid Mitch Robinson, because the guy never steps on the court. When he does play, he actually plays good basketball, but now, Mitch Robinson is out for the season. This is not a good sign for the New York Knicks, because we've been hearing that the Knicks would be interested in a big man at the deadline, and now they have to really be interested in a big man at the deadline, because they lose Mitch, and now they have Jericho Sims, who I don't think is much of a second center. They have Harnstein. He's a good player. He's a backup center. He's not a starting center. And they have really nothing to show as far as the big man side of the ball. The Knicks are in a lot of trouble right now. They have no size against the bigger teams, the Celtics or Milwaukee. Teams that can out rebound them. Mitch Robinson was a big part of their rebounding. was a big part of the defense. He was the anchor of the defense. And they need to find that anchor. Is it that we're looking for? Carl Anthony Towns! I don't know, but it seems like there's more of a chance now the Knicks go after a big man then maybe even donovan mitchell the knicks announced that mitchell robinson will most likely not return this season with an ankle fracture robinson suffered this injury december 8th against the celtics the knicks have filed a disabled player exception to the nba which would save them 7.8 million with jericho sims also injured the knicks only have two healthy centers on their roster. Isaiah Harnstein and Taj Gibson. Robertson was the NBA's leader in offensive rebounds before he got hurt. Robertson has only been healthy for more than 60 games once in the last four seasons. They need a big man. They bring in Taj Gibson because he knows Tom Thibodeau. He's a defensive minded guy. He looked like he was done. The Knicks have nobody to fill in that spot. Jericho Sims is not the answer for the Knicks. It's not a game changer. Bringing in Taj Gibson is not a game changer. Having Isaiah Harnstein as your number one guy is not a game changer. They need a game changer at their five. They don't have one. There is nobody right now that is available off of waivers or coming out of retirement right now that is any good, except maybe Shaquille O'Neal if he wants <laughs> to come <go> back. <laughs> they have nothing at that five. Now, they can play small. It's not something like Tom Thibodeau likes to do. Tom Thibodeau likes to play the old-fashioned type of NBA defense, likes to have a five that could block not much of a score, could rebound offensively, defensively, do all the dirty things down low. They don't have that guy anymore. And I like Constein, he's a good player He's not a great player and the Knicks don't have enough size at the other positions to lose that. Jalen Brunson's one of the smaller point guards in the league. R.J. Barrett, if you want to put him as your two or your three, if you move him as your three and you have Grimes, Grimes is small at his size. So you're not getting anything from your two. You're not getting much of any offense at your five. So what are you getting at at your one, your three, and your four? It's really three-player size at this point. That's not going to help you win. You need size in the NBA, especially in the playoffs. You need size to play against Miami, the Celtics. Celtics, the Milwaukee Bucks. You don't have it, you don't win. And right now, the Knicks desperately need to make a trade. And with Emmanuel Quigley probably available, if they know they can't get Donovan Mitchell this season, take Emmanuel Quigley, use that in a trade to bring in a big man. Especially if Donovan Mitchell, that availability is not as true
2: as we thought it was going to be, or the Cavs are going to be stubborn with that kind of thing. The Knicks have to do everything they can to not cater in and trade Emmanuel Quigley in that deal. Emmanuel Quigley has to be used in a different deal. If you get Donovan Mitchell for not as Much as you would expect, yeah, do it. But you have to make sure you prioritize your best asset in Emmanuel Quigley in order to make that kind of trade for somebody that has some size, somebody that could play some defense, and then maybe you go sign a veteran guy, a free agent guy, because older centers get released pretty easily in the NBA. We saw the Nets over the years try to sign all these old guys off waivers, Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin, all those guys. I'm not saying the Knicks should do that. Drummond's still playing in the league, but at least sign somebody that is going to be cheap and still could be a good defender enough and still can move around enough in a faster NBA. And then you go make that trade for a much more more well-rounded four or five. And for Emmanuel Quigley, he was having a great season and it was a well-rounded player. You have to be able to get somebody that's young and somebody that has a good quality and somebody that maybe you could sign later
1: with the rookie scale deal. I, do you remember Andre Drummond when he was one of the top five centers in the league oh, yeah. and everybody wanted him? He got that big contract from Detroit. How he just fell off. Drummond was one of the best rebounders in the league, one of the best blockers in the league. He was good in the paint. It's amazing how guys just fall off. Look at Carmelo Anthony. We've always wondered what Carmelo Anthony was going to be if he ever played with LeBron James. Right. He goes to the Lakers. Carmelo Anthony, when he went to the Lakers, he was He was still good enough to achieve something. And I remember when he went to the Rockets, when he went to the Lakers and played with LeBron James, I thought it was for sure a championship contending team. These guys wanted to play together. They had all these older veteran players playing with one another that know each other, that are boys. It never worked. Yeah, I think
2: LeBron got hurt in the middle of that year. It doesn't it just, matter. Uh, they're, they're it would have
1: still never worked. Fight. Carmelo Anthony fell off. When he fell off, he fell off quick. Look at Thompson. This guy was one of the top 12 players in the league. Half of the Splash Brothers. Tears his ACL. Then he tears his Achilles. He comes back He's not the same player. Bleacher Report NBA insider Chris Haynes reports that the Kings and the Lakers have been monitoring potential Zach Levine trade. The 76ers have reportedly also expressed interest in him and also O.G. Anobi. The Athletic reports the Lakers are the perceived favorite to trade for Levine, but they would have to wait until mid-January due to the rookie contract restrictions of Austin Reeves and Hachimura. The Lakers would reportedly prefer to trade for DeMar DeRozan over Zach Levine. Both have max contracts. Levine is very close with the Aaron Fox, both clients of Rich Paul. The Kings also said young star Keegan Murray is untouchable. Levine is averaging 21 points per game, 4 rebounds per game, 3.4 assists per game. Zach Levine is not the same player he was a couple of years ago. He's a good offensive player. He's not a two-way player. I could see why the Lakers would rather DeMar DeRozan. He could put up numbers. He could play defense, something Zach Levine can. I could see why the Lakers want Demar DeRozan. I could see why Zach Levine wants to play for the Lakers. He grew up a Laker fan. He loved Kobe Bryant. But when you look at the position that the Lakers are in, I don't know if they're going to trade away a guy like Reeves for a guy like Zach Levine. Now, Reeves, the rookie contracts with Austin Reeves, they have to wait. But are they willing to trade Austin Reeves? Austin Reeves could be a Zach Levine prototype type of player in two or three years. Why would they give up a young guy that they have control? rollover, who, by the way, doesn't speak, goes out there and plays the game. It doesn't make sense. Now, if they can get Zach Levine for something smaller, maybe a first-round draft pick, unprotected first-round draft pick, maybe that'll seal the deal, but Donovan doesn't want him there. And the team doesn't want him there anymore because he doesn't want to be there. And Chicago is not a good team. You look at De'Aaron Fox, and you've heard stories that Levine is a very good friend of De'Aaron Fox. Who cares? What are these teams offering? What does the Chicago Bulls want? And how does this benefit the Lakers if they get Zach Levine? Yeah,
2: the Kings, I don't think, have a shot at all. I don't really think it makes a lot of sense. They don't need scoring like that. They have enough three point shooting. They were the number one offense in the NBA, number one in three point percentage last year. Malik Monk was good for them. Kevin Herter was good for them. And obviously, De'Aaron Fox was great for them in the playoffs. Before he got hurt. They need more interior. They need more defense and size. I think the Lakers, on paper, it's not bad. I don't know why they would trade Reed. Like I was saying with Emmanuel Quickly in college, a really good shooter was not a well rounded player. He's actually become a more well rounded player in the NBA. Ball handling, he's played better defense, good free throw shooter, not just the three point shooter. And Hachimura's become a much more well rounded player, too. I think the Lakers are being smart and trying to wait it out, wait for the turmoil to keep going with the Bulls and Zach Levine. If somebody else trades for him, somebody else trades for him. That's why Philly, I think, still makes sense for them, because Philly's looking for that desperate thing, that other superstar to play with MB, keep him there. Tyrese Maxey's played phenomenal this year. They, they will not have to trade Maxey for him. No, absolutely not. Maybe they, if the Bulls want to take on some of those big contracts from the Sixers, they might be able to get more draft picks out of it. So I still think that scenario still makes the most sense, and Daryl Morey loves to do these kinds of things, but I think the Bulls are going to be screwed either way, because I don't think any team's going to take on Levine right now.
1: Philadelphia has a lot of pieces they can yeah, move, they do, uh, mm-hmm. especially getting it from the L.A. Clippers. So. They can move pieces to get a guy Like Zach Levine. I just don't know if he's a fit Zach Levine doesn't play defense. He's out There to score. He shoots. He tries to do these Super dunks. That doesn't sell To what the 76ers are trying to do and they're Trying to compete with those teams ahead Of them right now. Milwaukee right now that's starting To play good basketball. Everything's starting to work Out with Damian Lillard and we know what the Celtics Are. The Celtics are talented. Starting five They're as good as anybody in the NBA Especially in the Eastern Conference. Their bench That's been the problem but not a big problem Because they're still one of the top teams in NBA, and they could still produce the points when they need to, and they could play defense just as good as anybody. You look at the Zach Levine situation, I don't know where he fits. He doesn't want to play for the Knicks, and the Knicks have already come out and said they're not interested anymore in him. So, I think we all know who the Knicks are trying to go after, and Donovan Mitchell already came out and said that if he doesn't get traded to the Knicks, he'll wait, and he'll go to the Knicks anyway. So, I do believe that even though Cleveland has said that they're not trading Donovan, one way or another, he will push his way to the Knicks, this year or next next or the offseason. He will be a New York Knicks next year. Who so would you do rather? Donovan Mitchell or Zach Levine? Donovan Mitchell. I mean, it's not even an argument. Yeah. Donovan Mitchell is so much better of a player than Zach Levine. And Zach Levine, if he actually played somewhat defense. Now, Donovan Mitchell's not a great defensive player. He could play defense. Right. He's also undersized. Zach Levine is not undersized. Six five, he right. could play the 2, he could play the 3. And he's very athletic. The problem with Zach Levine, he has a big mouth. Donovan Mitchell, he has come out and said that he wants to be a Nick for the last couple of years. He went to Cleveland, he put a smile on his face and he's still playing for Cleveland and not saying really much of anything, but everybody knows where he wants to be. He hangs out at Nick games, he hangs out at Madison Square Garden in the offseason, he hangs out in New York, he goes to Met games, he goes to Yankee games, hanging out with Jalen Brunson. He's all over the place because that's where he's from. So everybody believes that that's where Donovan Mitchell is going no matter what. Cleveland, they hold the keys for Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell knows that. So Donovan Mitchell will sit back and They have no reason to keep him And then they decide, we have to trade this guy Right now, we need to get something for him We only have one more year left with him Next year is his last year, so it will be The offseason, because if they wait Until the trade deadline, Donovan Mitchell get traded to somewhere else, but everybody knows Where he's going to go, so you might as well Trade him to the Knicks now and get something for him Before you lose everything And get nothing for him Would this scenario be possible,
2: too? Would Cleveland consider trading Donovan Mitchell to the Knicks first Then try to trade for Zach Levine, to replace him? Because if they're still trying to allegedly compete Because they're sixth in the Eastern Conference They definitely still could be a good team And they need offense Zach Levine provides all the offense that they need Because Cleveland's got a great defense and no offense Would they consider that kind of thing? Might be something to consider if the Bulls can't find any better suitors When we come back,
1: ladies and gentlemen We've got some hockey As we will be talking to former 1994 The New York Rangers GM for the Stanley Cup Champion Rangers Neil Smith here on the Weekend Crunch My favorite song, ladies and gentlemen, for Christmas! A Little Wham! Last Christmas, I smack you a heart. And I'm Mary day. I gave her away. I changed the words, ladies and gentlemen. We are back. You're listening to The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time all day on 103.9, the L.I. News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports League Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including the Loudmouth, Wednesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. WorldWideSportsRadio.com. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I've grown very fond of this man. as I've interviewed him now twice in the last six weeks. He was very excited to join us on 103.9. We are now talking to former Rangers, 1994, champion of the world former general manager of the New York Rangers, Neil Smith.
3: Neil, what's up, man? Nice to be on again and back down in South Carolina. I was just in New York for (laughs) four weeks and 12 and a half hours and back down here.
1: Maybe you can help Carolina out with their goaltending problems.
3: (laughs) I don't think I can do that. (laughs)
1: This has been going on a long, long time. I think Rob Brendamore is one of the better coaches in the NHL, but it's been a long time and this team still has not played in a Stanley Cup Finals. They have so much talent and it's surprising the goaltending woes that they've had over the last couple of years has been detriment for them to actually get over the hump and get to that Stanley Cup.
3: I thought when they brought Freddie Anderson in from Toronto, maybe they had found something that Toronto had just let go and for a year i think that first year he was pretty good i don't know that he's a stanley cup caliber goaltender backed him up this year with anti-ranta and anti-ranta just couldn't do it his numbers were horrible so now they're in a bad situation of trying to figure out what to do now that both their guys are down one's down in the minors and one's down with an injury
1: it seems like the carolina woes continue but i want to get into the rangers right now they're one of the better teams in the nhl i did believe peter laviolette was going to change everything for them the style is more upbeat i I like what they're doing on the offensive side of the puck, the defensive side of the puck. Their defense is one of the best in the league. When you talk about Peter LaViolette, what sells you Peter LaViolette?
3: I think all the experience that he's had, the fact that everywhere that he's gone, he might not have won a Stanley Cup everywhere. He won one in Carolina, but he's taken teams to the final. He's gotten teams, especially in the early years or the first year that he's with a team, he's able to institute a system and give the team, give the players confidence in their own game. And I think that that's one of the things that was lacking. And I like Jerry Gallant very much. He's a personal friend. He was in Detroit with me way back. But I think that's one of the things that Panarin and other more entrepreneurial players players that want to go out and do it their way they don't want to go out and be strictly jump and chase. Peter Laviolette's obviously getting through to them, getting them to play to their capacity, whereas Jerry couldn't do that for whatever reason
2: The way Chris Drury has built this team more defensive players, center depth I think has been a big key for them that they've lacked in years past. What are your thoughts on some of the moves, the under the
3: radar moves? I think there's been some really good under the radar moves. I think that Gustafson was a smart acquisition and I think he listened to Laviolette. Peter Laviolette had something to do with that. He played for him in Washington last year when Adam Fox was out. He he filled in really nicely on the power play. They really didn't miss a big beat there. Of course, they wanted Fox back, but they have brought in some players under the radar to have done very well for them. They're complementary players. They're not necessarily the big cogs. Last year, I was not in favor. Personally, I didn't think that bringing in Tirasenko and Patrick Kane was the right thing to do. I told told my ranger buddies this uh, that they are already planning the parade route I just said I wouldn't do it well what do you mean you wouldn't do it Patrick Kane are getting him for nothing I said it doesn't matter if they're getting him for nothing it's not the right time to add a player like that I think that they're doing it better this year I think everything this year is, is a little bit better except maybe Shesterkin isn't quite back to the way he was two years ago and that's a little bit scary because they depend so much on him.
1: You're talking to former Rangers and Islanders general manager Neil Smith. The problem with the Rangers over the last couple of years was face-offs. They have been one of the worst face-off teams in the NHL. And to Jerry, it didn't work out. And then you bring in Peter Laviolette, you bring in Michael Pecca. Michael Pecka has changed everything. Michael Pecca was one of the best face-off guys the years that he was on Buffalo, when he played for the Islanders, he was fantastic. Changed the way you would play the center position as a face-off guy. What are your thoughts of the the addition of Michael Pekka to the Peter Laviolette coaching staff.
3: You talk about flying under the radar. Michael Pekka might fly under the radar himself. right guy, he's not out there in the spotlight. Anybody would have liked to have Michael Pekka when he was a player, the way he played. Every general manager wanted more of those kind of guys. Something's clicked. Now, Trocek has been terrific in the face-off circle. Is that just Trocek? Is that Pekka helping him with things? More confidence. Michael Pekka helping these guys and these guys having confidence in themselves and playing up to their potential.
2: Handling the New York media and the pressure from a lot of those fans what was it
3: like for you it was different than now because there was no social media I'm not saying that's better or worse because everything that was said about you on WFAN and in the press and and other places heard it all and saw it all at times that wasn't very much fun to go through that so you really didn't listen to FAN you didn't read the newspapers and you sort of just went and did what you had to do The pressure is something that you put on yourself. The 50-year thing, when I got to Rangers in 89, 50th year without the Stanley Cup, right away you know you knew that this is what you got to do here find a way to win the stanley cup because that's all they want they don't care about anything else they didn't care if the team imploded after that year just as long as you won the stanley cup because just give us that and we can all die to deliver that was extra special to think that you walked in in 89 and they seemed a million light years away from the stanley cup after being knocked out four straight by pittsburgh and bergeron had been fired and phil was behind the bench and all the shenanigans that were going on and that five years later, they're winning the Stanley Cup in Madison Square Garden. And this wasn't an era like now, like this is an era right now of quick turnaround. I didn't see Vancouver being this good bad last year. And I thought, well, they will be a little bit better. Maybe last year, I didn't see the Devils being as good as they were. Uh. And now this year, I didn't see the Devils flubbing around the way they're flubbing around. And maybe they're on the brink of a non-playoff year. Philadelphia, Uh. all of a sudden being a playoff team. Detroit, it wasn't like that in the 90s. Teams didn't turn it around in a year. was a slow build today maybe because of the young players because of the salary cap because of the maturation process of the young players over a summer things really do turn around pretty quickly now they don't turn around from san jose this year to the rangers next year they don't turn around from chicago blackhawks to the boston bruins next year (laughs) there could be a team like detroit that suddenly next year just shocks us with how good they are The way Vancouver is shocking me this year.
1: You know what's shocking me right now? The Islanders were one of the worst offensive teams in the league. They were not scoring goals. I was wondering what's going on with Matthew Barzell, if he's going to figure it out. Bo Horvat was not scoring. Anders Lee had one goal at the time, and now all of a sudden they put him with Bo Horvat. they put him with Matthew Barzell, and it's a different offense. What are your thoughts to the growth of this team in the last two weeks offensively? They went from one of the worst to now one of the better power plays in the league and one of the better offenses in the last couple of weeks.
3: I'm at every game, mm-hmm. home game, and I watch all their road games. They've got way more confidence right now than they had three weeks ago. The game that they beat Columbus at UBS Arena, 7-3, to three, they were being booed at one point before they scored their third goal. Columbus was all over them. The Islanders got a break and they scored, unlike the first shot after that. And then the confidence just builded in them and they blitzed them 7-3. to three. And then they came out and played against the Kings and the Leafs. And I think they went back into the locker room. We're not so bad. Like, come on, we're, we can beat these teams. We can play with these teams. And that's so important. Sorokin uh-huh. has been unbelievable amount of shots on Sorokin <laughs> that he's kicking out every night. He's kicking out like 35 shots a night. I did the average of him versus Stuart Skinner the other night. Stuart Skinner versus Ilya Sorokin. Ilya Sorokin had a better save percentage and had faced 35 shots on average per game. Skinner had faced 25. And that's Edmonton. They're not exactly a defensive juggernaut. The Islanders allow a ton of shots, but they've got Sorokin who makes up for everything. So confidence is an unbelievable thing. And what I see in them, and I see in Anders Lee lately and in Horvat, the confidence has risen in them. That'll take you a long way if you have confidence.
1: I look at the NHL, everybody keeps saying Connor McDavid is the best player in the league, but I went to the Islander-Toronto Maple Leafs game and I watched Austin Matthews in person I was eight rows away from the glass and this guy is unbelievable size, ability could shoot anywhere, the Islanders when Austin Matthews was on the ice everybody was swarming to him, it didn't matter who was on the yeah. ice with him, Tavares Mitch Marner, when they were on a power play it was him, I've watched Connor McDavid live, I've seen Drysaddle live I've seen a lot of great players, I believe Austin Matthews is the best player in the league. If you were the GM right now and you had a choice between Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews, who would you draft first?
3: You know, I was at that game too, that Toronto game. You I was going to-, to reach out to you and tell you <laughs> that I was there. I didn't want to bother you. They should have come up to the UBS club. I should have so, next So anyways, and I saw Connor McDavid play the other night. The Islanders beat them yep. three to one after will put them out one nothing only a minute into the game. I think that Connor McDavid is more of a franchise player meaning he can carry a team self whereas Matthews is a goal scorer I do agree with you on one thing he is a monster he's big and strong and can shoot the puck like nobody else and I just not sure how important winning is to him and when I say that I don't mean he doesn't care Connor McDavid I think seems to live and die with Edmonton winning or losing it mm-hmm. really bothers him and that's what you got to have in the leader of the team to win. You got to have a guy that would rather die than lose. But it's a toss up. You'd be lucky to have either one. It's like saying, would you rather have Sidney Crosby or Ovechkin? Of course, this year I'm sure you'd rather have Crosby because Ovechkin looks like he's falling he's apart. Down quite yeah, a bit. he's
1: falling apart. He's got a woman. He's got kids now. He's enjoying his life. He's done what he needed to do. I think he's the greatest goal scorer we've seen since Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux. When I watch Austin Matthews and I try to compare his skill to NHL players at that time. I would say his shooting ability, Mario Lemieux, I mean, the guy's got a tremendous touch with putting the puck in the net, but he's much faster and he's as big as Mario Lemieux. Mario's 6'6", he's 6'3". Right now, I think he's the greatest offensive American player we've ever seen. I know there was Brett Hall, Keith Kachuk, and Mike Madono. This guy, right now, has 350 goals and he's 26 years old. This guy's gonna have 700 goals if he keeps it up. The guy never misses a game. The guy's unbelievable. I've never seen anything like this i love matthew barzell this guy is on a
3: whole nother level imagine having him and nathan mckinnon (laughs) on the line together (laughs) oh my god they'd roll they'd steamroll anybody he's a monster and that's what they need with marner and tavares nielander and all these guys they need a big monster like that i just wonder what the heck is wrong with toronto but there's something missing there if they screw up with this coach and don't win for this coach who's who i hear is a pretty good guy i don't know him Wait till you see the next guy that comes in. (laughs) Because that's the way it works. You didn't want to play for the nice guy. Let's bring in the bad guy. And you happy to have this now? Because Toronto is an enigma. One player
2: (laughs) that was traded during that 1994 (laughs) season, Mike Gartner, controversial with a lot of other Ranger fans at the time. What
3: was the decision like to do that? Mike Gartner was one of my favorites. Several people, including a man at the Christmas party I was at on Saturday, said, thank you for 94, but I hated that you traded Gartner. I've heard that so many times because Mike Gartner was a guy, the way he could come down the wing and pick the corner and, had that speed and he was a gentleman but Mike Keenan didn't like Mike Gartner and he kept saying to me I'm not going to play him if you keep that guy on the team I'm not going to dress him and so I didn't want to give this guy any excuses I came up we found a match there with Toronto with Glenn Anderson but I didn't like trading Mike Gartner and I didn't like trading Tony Monty. I don't like trading young players because I know that you're going to pay for it down the road with Mike Gartner he was a gentleman Fantastic guy. I talked to him the other day. I want to put a picture on the wall, my favorite Rangers, and I want him on there. And I picked out a picture of him with his arms in the air for his 600th goal. I have that going on my wall in my own house here. That's how much I think of him. But a lot of times when you're GM and you're going for it, You've got to do things that maybe you don't even like. You gotta do what you gotta to do to get to try to get to where you're going. Cause if you think that you've got a chance to win the cup, you owe it to everybody to do whatever you can to do it.
1: We are talking to former Rangers and Islanders general manager Neil Smith. In ninety-three-94, when you guys won the Stanley Cup, Sergei Zuboff led the team with eighty-nine points. Not Brian Leach. Adam Graves had fifty-two goals, and Mark Messi guaranteed the win, and he scores the three goals against the Devils, and then Mato! Mata, oh, we know the whole thing. Sergei Zuboff, he was a sensational player. I watched him grow with the Rangers. What type of player was he on and off the ice?
3: There was no no problems with him off the ice at all. We used to say ice "water in his veins because he could hold on to the puck and hold on to the puck and he knew just when to dish. What happened though was in the summer of 95, there was a subcommittee put together on interference in the league and holding up players and the rule was going to come in and I was on the committee. You couldn't hold up a four checker. So your defense partner couldn't come over and interfere with the four checkers so that you wouldn't kill the defenseman in the boards colin campbell and i coley was like sergey's already scared like can you imagine if these guys start running them we're like oh crap what are we going to do we needed a guy like old samuelson and old and samuelson to be fair was really good for us and we had brian leach not like you need two Zubov and leach although they were fantastic and then we got a Hall of Famer in Luke Robitaille. Now, it didn't work out for Luke in New York. You probably have the places he played, which is L.A., Pittsburgh, and New York. New York was his least Hall of Fame destination, but still a Hall of Famer, a great player. And so we got those two guys for Nedved and Zuboff. I liked Sergei. I called him when he was put into the Hockey Hall of Fame. We had a great conversation. I said, I'm so proud of drafting you. I met him when he was 18, uh-huh. when I went over there. Couldn't speak a word of English. Played for Red Army. Malakoff. he was his defense partner mm-hmm. on the red army and i think that people miss zuboff because they were so taken by Malakoff, because he was big and could skate like the wind and had all the skills and you missed zuboff but we had a scout christian rockstrom that told us to take zuboff in the fifth round and we took him and the rest is history so a great player pittsburgh didn't like him very much remember <laughs> they got rid of him in a year i couldn't believe that
1: They kept Peter Nedved. I like Peter Nedved. He had a pretty good career with the Rangers. And even when he left the Rangers, he was pretty good. People over the years, they'll look at players and they're like, he's not a big name, or he didn't stand out because he wasn't the star of the team. But a lot of these guys, when they became free agents, they went somewhere else, they were successful. I feel bad for people like Sergei Zubov because people forget how great Sergei Zubov was because you're the one who drafted him. I loved Sergei Zubov because he added speed. He was a tough guy too. He would play injured, he would go out there Mm -hmm. and he would give his body up all the time and he was as good offensively as any of the defensive players in the league but he was shined because Brian Leach was on the team as good as Sergei Zuboff was the great Brian Leach was on the team so that was the difference and you had both of those guys so it was an amazing time for the New York Rangers I couldn't stand them after they won the Stanley Cup because you traded away my guy Johnny Van B he never won the Stanley Cup in 96 that was special just watching him the year of the rat when they went all the way to the Stanley Cup finals Patrick Gouard just made me sick to my stomach I met Patrick Gouard years after at a draft Scotty Bowman was there I went up to Patrick I said Pat I got a couple of questions what do you think about Kelly Rudy. He walked away from me. I met Kelly Rudy years and years ago, too, and another nice guy. Patrick, I did see him again, and I said, I told him I was kidding with him. He's like, yeah, I know you were kidding with me. I wanted you to know what I felt about him, in his deep Canadian accent. It was really, really funny. I'll tell you another story. I was in Vancouver years ago for the draft, when Craig Berube won the Stanley Cup with St. Louis. The first time I met Wayne Gretzky, he was delivering the jersey to, I forget who they drafted in the first round, Edmonton. So, after the kid that they drafted were in the elevator to go downstairs to do all the press conversation. I jumped into the elevator. I didn't know it was Wayne Gretzky. We're going down to the bottom floor. I had a stomach ache. I don't know what I ate. The night before. I let go. Nobody could hear. It was one of those silent but deadly droplets. Yeah. He looked up. My head was turned and I looked down. He's looking at the kid. Edmonton just drafted. He started pointing to me and then Wayne turned around and he looked at me and says, are you serious? And I said, sorry, Mr. Gretzky. I was trying to get down to the bottom floor. I couldn't hold it in. And he looked at me. He's like, man, oh man, you kids need to learn how to respect your elders. He laughed. He smiled and he walked off the elevator. That's my introduction to wayne gretzky probably my final introduction to wayne gretzky i don't know yeah. if you'll ever want to remember me for that
3: he sees cool. you he'll run i
1: don't know what i ate that night maybe in the morning bed yogurt so you were talking
2: about wayne gretzky uh, you made a big trade for his team, mark messier was it that hyped was it that riveted was there competition at the time were you surprised a player like that kind was available
3: no here's what happened was peter parklington was in trouble financially he owned the team and he sold gretzky right in 88. Now we're into 91 and Mark wants his contract renewed, a newer contract to to put him up to the level he should be at. And they said, no, we can't do that. We don't have the money. So they decided that they would sell slash trade Mark. Glenn said this in the paper. So this isn't my version of this. He said that he shopped him around the league and the only one that would have the balls to take him was me. When I say that, it may sound like, well, what do you mean it's Mark Messier? But it wasn't like that back then. People thought he had too many miles on him. He'd been through all these Stanley Cups and Canada Cups and all this stuff. And if Sather's trading him, something's wrong with him. And Walt McPeak from the Newark Star-Ledger actually blasted me for that trade, saying, here we go again. This is like Marcel Dion and all these <laughs> others the Rangers always bring in. I was the only suitor at the time and it was obvious that we had to do this because I wanted to get the culture of the team turned around to a winning culture. And I knew that Mark and others that you bring in can do that because they're used to winning. They're not used to losing. And that's where it went from, was from there. And it made a big splash, of course, in New York at the time and ended up working out better than anybody could have ever dreamed of.
1: A lot of fans were wondering, what was it with you and Mike Keenan? There were some people saying that you and Mike Keenan did not get along. You didn't like each other. Mike Keenan didn't really like a lot of people in Chicago when he was there. And hence the reason why he didn't stay there that long. What are your thoughts now? And what were your thoughts then after the fact you won
3: the Stanley Cup with Mike Keenan? First of all, we wouldn't have won the Stanley Cup if we didn't have Mike Keenan. We wouldn't have won the Stanley Cup if we didn't have Glenn Healy. Everybody that was there, we needed them. Anybody that's worked with Mike or played for Mike or been in a role with Mike knows that Mike is a difficult person to deal with. He's an insubordinate guy. He respects no authority. He loves to deal in chaos. Within a chaotic environment is what I'm saying. He creates a chaotic environment. All the rest of us normal people are like, I hate this. I don't like this. Chaos going on all the time. I mean, remember that administration we just had a few years ago that was chaos totally for four years? That was the Mike Keenan of politics. I could get along with Mike now. I've done TV with him. But Mike's an asshole. Like, that's the way that it is. Like, I'm not. I don't think you'll find somebody that will categorize me in that category. I just don't. That's not the way I'm built. He is built to be that. I don't do well with that. So did I like him? No. Did I wish he would leave? Yes. Was I happy when he left? I was thrilled. (laughs) But if he had stayed, he would have destroyed the whole place. It was that bad. So if you had Brendan Shanahan on here, you had Wayne Gretzky on here, you had Brett Hull on here, they'll all say the same thing. I mean, these are all Hall of Famers that will say this about him, that they couldn't stand him. He's a very difficult guy. I mean, Brian Leach, a guy that I really respect, he's just a tough guy to like. That's about the mildest I can be.
1: Why don't you tell the fans a little bit about your podcast that's going to be
3: coming out soon? I'm excited about it. I haven't been this excited about anything since I was with the Rangers but Vic Morin from ESPN Production, 35 years there and I are doing a podcast starting in late January called Wrap Around. Play on the word, hockey word wraparound but also wrapping around the league and talking about everything that's going on currently in the league and going back to things that we've seen over 40 years happen in the league before because you can relate almost everything that happens today to something that's happened in the past that you you saw whether it's poor guy adam johnson in in england that you know had that happen to him or whether it's Corey perry with his off-ice problems or a coach being fired the guy in edmonton gets fired i think was doing a good job there but fire him anyway and other things that go on in the league now the other thing is errol is that i have a Rolodex, as you can imagine, hundred of people that will come on and talk to me. I can't imagine anybody saying to me, no, I don't want to do that <laughs> because I've done this for everybody else. And Vic has the same relationships with everybody he's run into over the years. People like Messier, he's got a relationship with him because he was at ESPN with when Mess was doing the analysis. So we're really looking forward to blending today with yesterday knowing that you've got to be old to be able to know about yesterday. That's the good part about being older. And the bad part about being older, you can relate everything. You know, we were talking about Butch Goring, what a great was for the Islanders. And like when Tori made that trade, and then he ends up winning the Conn Smythe Trophy. And just that you can, I can remember Butch Goring playing like it was yesterday. It's going to be a lot of fun to be able to do that. And I don't think there's a lot of ex-Stanley Cup GMs that are doing podcasts. No. When I tell people I'm doing this, it's almost like I'm telling them I'm doing a radio show because they get excited. They're all like, oh, when does it come out? Podcasts have taken over for radio because in my day, or not in my day, but I mean, in all of our day. Podcasts are free, but they're a big deal.
1: I want to be national. I I want to be on a national radio station. I I want to give everybody our stuff on a national stage. We really appreciate the time. We definitely want you to come on again, and we'll talk off air. We would love to work with you. And I believe everything happens for a reason. I believe your podcast is going to be very successful for all the hockey fans because I think you, of all people, should be respected, and you should be in the Hall of Fame Uh, after winning the Stanley Cup and being... The face for the Rangers' success in the 90s, I mean, it did everything for the Ranger fans. And still to this day, they're waiting for that next Stanley Cup, which, by the way, they haven't won, so... We really appreciate yeah. you, Neil.
3: We'll talk to you soon, bud. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me on, guys, and good luck. We'll talk soon.
1: The great Neil Smith. It was a great get. Fantastic. Yeah, knowing a lot about the game
2: today as well. Adjusting to the times, he goes to all those Islander games, too. That's He's nice. very close with the
1: Islanders, a team that he was only the GM with for less than a year. He has a good relationship with the New York New Islanders organization. Not much with the New York Rangers organization. Crazy, but this is the guy that brought you your last championship. Yep. 1994 was the last time they won a Stanley Cup who would have thought, and we're going now into 2024 that it would be 30 years since they won a championship. Well, it's not the first relationship that James Dolan has ruined, and it certainly won't be the last, but definitely
2: still in touch with the Rangers. A fantastic hockey mind, giving him some great insight on the current state of the game and some of the past that he had to deal with in 1994, building that Rangers Stanley Cup team from Messier to
1: Mike Keenan to everything else. I didn't bring up Mike Milbury to him, because he doesn't like Mike Uh, Milbury. Mike Milbury actually tossed him to the side when he was taking over for the Islanders as a GGM. Mike Milbury was the reason why he decided to part ways with the New York Islanders. So he didn't mention that, but I'm telling you, I interviewed him before. He is not too fond of Mike Milbury. Either am I, by the way. (laughs) I'm an Islander fan. I became an Islander fan because of Neil Smith. He was the reason why I decided to become an Islander fan. And we become good friends, so who would have thought that? Johnny V. May- Serendipity. Yes. Yes. Serendipity. <laughs> Anyways, when we come back, a little Moneyline Mania. Giving you winners. Moneyline Mania, when we come back here on The Weekend Crunch. A little Christmas themes, ladies and gentlemen. A little Home Alone. A little Wham. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy, Petey, remember you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only. On 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including the Loudmouth Wednesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. All you have to do to tune in and find the local listings of our show and all our shows, go to WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Check out us on Apple Podcasts. And Spotify, The Sports Loudmouth, or our Spotify and Apple Podcasts for the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. All you have to do is put in Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we call this segment Money Line Mania.
0: This is Money Line Mania, witches and the crew.
1: Chazzy is back, but he's not joining us no. tonight. We have Papoose Paolo
4: and Reno Johnny. What's going on, boys? What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Reno Johnny back here again. Uh, nice little week last week. We went 3-1 and one on the plays here. How
0: are you guys? What a day. 8-0 was a 12-1 to 1 winner. That 12-1 to 1 winner came out with, with maybe 40 seconds left. What's happened in soccer, 80% of the time it will happen again, but you just got to figure out when it's going to happen. Actually, I was off last week. Soccer, I was good at like usual. But in the NFL, I was, it was just one of those weeks I wasn't really into it. This week is an important week. There's a few games this week that have big importance. be with Miami. The spread is plus 1.5. Miami is favored by 1.5. After last week, I learned a very valuable lesson that the Cowboys are just an average team with an average defense. Miami can score points. So if the Cowboys, after what I saw last week, they're not a serious uh, Super Bowl contender. After last week, that defensive performance against this average Buffalo Bills team, that was pathetic. Buffalo was going up and down the field like it was no tomorrow. They did not stop them at all. Who would think huh, that mm-hmm. they won by over 23
4: points? I was all over the Buffalo Bills last week, and we just know what we expect when we play, you know, when the Cowboys get on the road and they're playing any team that's kind of good, right? I think the Bills have, you know, really come on strong, but uh, look at the Cowboys, they're just unable to get that marquee win. Gonna flip the page here just a little bit. We're gonna actually back the Cowboys this week, because I think the Dolphins are kind of similar to the Cowboys. They yeah. beat up on a little guy, great offense when when they're up when they get in these close games, I think Mike McDonald's kind of lose some of the play calling, some of the uniqueness that makes him a great the play caller. I think the Cowboys can win this game, and it's a game where it means more to Dallas in, in retrospect because if you look at the two teams, who I think are very similar, they beat up on the bad teams, play good teams, and they lose, but you don't hear that about the Dolphins. The Dolphins kind of get that pass, but America's team, on the other hand, everybody's talking about them. They don't get the pass. So this is a bigger game for them to kind of prove that they can beat a team with the winning record on the road, right? They haven't been able to do that this year. They do have a close win against Seattle at the time, had a winning record, and then the Eagles win at home, almost smelled the, the, the letdown last week. I'm going to bounce on back this week, take Dallas Cowboys on the money line, I think it's plus one and a half or two at some locations, give me the money line, Cowboys win, beat the Dolphins. I think the Dolphins have really, uh, they've been kind of ebbing and flowing but this last couple weeks, they really haven't been great. They started the season five. fire. Last few weeks they've kind of been mediocre. Teams have kind of figured them out. They're, kind of, they're getting to Tua a little bit. You know, you know you're know you going to get hurt by Tyreek and, and Waddle, but Tyreek's not even healthy right now I mean, if he does play. So give
0: me the Cowboys. The Vikings are actually valuing. They're at 2.46 against a Lions team that's been exposed. And the Vikings lately have been playing great. And this this quarterback they have Mullins he actually looked pretty good the other game that I like a lot I like Jacksonville okay this week to win Fred is only a plus one and a half I think Jacksonville can win this game the game that uh, a lot of people are putting a lot of money on on Tampa Bay Tampa Bay is not a Super Bowl contender okay they're good whatever but nothing's gonna happen there
3: the
4: Jacksonville Jaguars it's another road team which I hate taking road teams. I just don't trust Baker Mayfield and the Buccaneers to get this one. You know, they're part of that NFC South snooze fest that's going on. all teams are like 7-7 seven, seven or 6-8. and eight. Terrible division. And I look at the Jaguars as really needing to get back on track here. They are a team that has had probably the most injuries in the NFL by far. Uh, their line is just absolutely decimated. I just believe they have enough playmakers on the offensive side of the football. It's like and Trevor Lawrence to get the, enough points on the Buccaneers team that really has trouble scoring all, all season long. So I'm taking the Jaguars here on the money line, plus 105-110.
0: The thing that I find with the Jets this year, which is so disappointing, this team just doesn't have a quarterback. How could you put money on them? Look at last week. The defense, okay, they kept it under. But there's nothing to play for for the Jets. And the Commanders, on the other hand, last week they were getting blown away and all of a sudden they came back and covered the spread. Kansas City, the Raiders, the spread, I think is at 12. They did cover that. And then you have the Denver Broncos with the Patriots. Denver's look good lately. I can see them covering that spread and winning that game. We get down to the Monday night, the game of the year. The 49ers with the Ravens. I think the 49ers win this game. I can see McCaffrey uh, going for over 88.5 yards rushing. Okay. And what I see in this game is the 49ers are going to win this game by 14-plus points. This game is not going to be close. The 49ers defense is going to pressure Lamar Jackson. He's not going to throw for a lot of yards. He might rush for over 56 yards. If the Ravens do not... Top. The 49 is running a pack. They're going to get worn out. I'm a possessions is going to be on the 49er side. I'll take San Francisco to win by 14 plus points at 3.25. I'm getting value because if you look at San Francisco with the win by 1 to 13, it's at 2.26. The Ravens are 3.15. Big long shot for two teams that are supposedly equally matched. They need to run the ball. But if they do run the ball consistently, and McCaffrey gets his yards. And then you're looking at the cover, Debo Samuel, Kittle, and the cover, Ayub. They have weapons, and they can score points. So if the Ravens' defense gets tired, easy 14-plus points.
4: We're going to go to Old Faith. You know, this is a team that I have either bet on or bet against seven straight weeks. I'm 7-0. Give me the Colts on the money line here. Uh, in Atlanta, I think a lot of times at, the, at this time of year, you'll start looking at teams like if you look at the nfc south teams that just have to win so that you got to back them like i'm not backing the falcons nowhere i don't really care who's running back or or quarterback or coach i don't really care i think the falcons are are in trouble i think they are in a way it's a lost season for them because i don't think they have the quarterback of the future that that they're looking for they're gonna have to kind of get back in the draft and, and find somebody i look at the colts as a team that has really surprised a lot of people. And, of course, the like Garden Mitchell just does this guy. This guy's off the wall, lives in a van during the offseason, on the beach, right? Like, he's just a guy, like, getting paid a few million dollars a year to play football, no big deal. I think that there's a unique quality to that because he's kind of going out there with, like, a, a loose kind of aura to him. Like, right, we're just going to kind of go out there and see what happens. They're 8 and six. They're in the playoffs right now. Anthony Richardson was a big question mark. Their line was a big question mark. Their defense lost a lot of pieces. They're 8-6, and and, and and they have a chance, a real shot at a playoff run behind Gardner Minshew. I just think they're better all around. They will also have Jonathan Taylor back this week. They can probably get limited with him. They still have Zach Moss, so they can really have a two-headed attack. They don't have to like run Jonathan Taylor into the ground. They have enough there. I think they're just a better team. Uh, I know they're on the road. I still like them to win the game on the money line. Probably dabble at the two and a half, dabble on the money line, kind of split it if it's a one possession game or something of that nature.
0: Give you some soccer plays. I like Liverpool to win on Tuesday. I like Arsenal to win, Fulham to score a goal, and Manchester City to win.
4: Matchup's not completely set yet. It's going to happen the day after Christmas in the Diamond Head Classic down in Hawaii. Uh, give me the Nevada Wolf Pack here, repping it right now. They're a really good basketball team. They've lost one game at a neutral site to Drake, but I'm looking at them at top 59 in offense, top 30 in defensive adjusted efficiency. Uh, pretty good tempo right around middle of the pack. They do a really good job at getting to the free throw line, ranked seventh in the country. Uh, They're also 12th at limiting turnovers. They do not, They do not give you the ball. I think they're going to have a really uh, tough matchup against either Georgia Tech or Hawaii. I'm rooting for for Georgia Tech only because they've already played Hawaii and got the win there. Really tough to beat a team twice, especially in such a short span. I do think that uh, Nevada can kind of walk away with the win there. So we'll be back in the Wolfpack there on the money line. I don't really care what the the plus spread is. We'll get them on the money line.
2: All righty. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Merry Christmas to you and your
1: family.
4: Enjoy. Uh, you as well, guys. We'll talk Thank to you all next
0: week.
2: Merry Christmas. We'll talk next week, guys. Absolutely. Papoose Palo
1: and Reno Johnny. If you guys are betters, you should be writing this down every single week. They've been over 77% every single week. When we come back, we do this every single week. Kerwin's time here on the Weekend Crunch. happy holiday merry christmas merry christmas merry christmas happy holiday welcome back ladies and gentlemen merry christmas and a happy new year you're listening to the weekend crunch i'm your host errol marks my co-host speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. All day on 103.9, the L.I. News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Remember, everybody, you can check out the World Wide Sports Radio website and our show, The Sports Loudmouth, by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. You can check out our show, The Sports Loudmouth, every single Wednesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. Obviously, Game On on Friday. Fridays at 6.30 p.m. with our friend Josh Silverberg and our friend Mr. Bo-Bo-Bo-Bo-Bo. Bobo Bobo. And then you can listen to the wise guys that is airs in Bengalsville or Cincinnativille, as he is a Packer fan. Trey Larkin, The Herd, The Buffalo Bills Show. You can listen to them every single Monday. So, guys, we have great shows, great content. You should be listening to us Every single week live on our website. And by the way, if you miss any one of our shows, you can go to Apple Podcasts, you can go to Spotify, and you can find us, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, or you can go to The Sports Loudmouth. If you're a big fan of our show, we've got a ton of them. 37,000 downloads on Apple Podcasts in two months, ladies and gentlemen. I have to give us a round of applause. But ladies and gentlemen, you can listen to us. You can download our show on Apple Podcasts, The Sports Loudmouth. Or Spotify, The Sports Lawnmouth. So please, tune in, listen to us. If you miss us, go back and check out all the great guests that we have on our show. Anyways, it's been a great show, Speedy. It really has. Merry Christmas. I hope everybody is entertained. I'm a little crazy tonight. I'm happy. I'm happy that it's almost the end of the year. I'm expecting big things in 2024 for us and our network and what I'm doing right now in the sports world and radio world. So I hope everybody enjoys us. Thank you to 103.9 FM for really giving us a platform to do what we do, and that's entertaining you guys, all you Islander fans that love us and listen to our pregame show. Thank you to all the fans out there. Uh, thank you to Joe. Thank you to Bruce. Thank you to John. Thank you to Pat. Thank you to all you guys over there at 103.9 for giving us what we Love to do entertain you guys. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Anyway, Speedy, are you ready? Yes, it is time for the Christmas edition of Crunch Time. Grrr, it's ooh.
2: time for Crunch
1: Time. That was my horse. My, my horse.
2: Yeah, your horse. I have a child of oh, horses. Of horse, of course, of course. Yes, and uh, all the reindeer, all the horse themes that could definitely apply for Christmas. rode off
1: the red brown named deer. <laughs> See, I keep I my own words. Named deer.
2: Yeah, there you go. We'll have to play that song later in the segment. But we'll start this segment in San Francisco. The Ravens and the 49ers. Monday Night Football, buy or sell. Both Lamar Jackson and Brock Purdy
1: have 225 pass plus passing yards at two plus touchdowns. I'm going to buy it, ladies and gentlemen. I absolutely believe Lamar Jackson is going to have a big game. Purdy will definitely throw 225. It's going to be back and forth. It's going to be a defensive game. A lot of people think because both teams are good defensively, it's going to be a low-scoring game. I think there'll be at least... I think the game will be a 21-17 game. That's where I think it's going to be. I absolutely buy it.
2: I'm going to sell it. I think Lamar Jackson will get more when it comes to his legs. I think all-purpose yards he'll get close to 250. I think it'll be for him to throw the ball. But I think running the ball he'll do well. Brock Purdy, this is a tough secondary, especially for the Ravens getting Marlon Humphrey back healthy now. I am going to sell that one. All right, buy or sell. Corbin Burns will be traded to either the Mets or the Yankees.
1: I'm going to buy it. The Yankees have come out and said that if they don't get Yamamoto, they're going to heavily after Corbin Burns, and I think the Mets absolutely will go after Corbin Burns. I think there's a better chance with the Yankees because Corbin Burns was a Milwaukee buck, and I don't see the Milwa- uh, Milwaukee uh, Milwaukee Brewer, and I don't see Milwaukee trading him to David Stearns. So, I think it's a better chance for the Yankees, but nevertheless, I buy it. I'm going to buy it, too. I think definitely a better chance for the Yankees than the Mets. I think the Braves, what's going
2: to happen is they're going to drive the price for the Mets, and I think they're going to get out of it eventually, but they're definitely the two favorites right now because of David Stern trying to fleece his former team, but I agree. The Yankees' sense of urgency yeah, I think is definitely going to be there for them to not miss, not getting Yamamoto. So I am going to buy that as well. All right, buy or sell. Draymond Green will be
1: suspended for at least until the All-Star break. I hope so. I hope so. I'm not going to bet on it because for some reason, the NBA just absolutely loves a little bit of Draymond. Um, I'm going to sell that. I think Draymond Green will be back before the All-Star break because the NBA just doesn't. I don't know what the NBA does anymore. <laughs> I'm going to sell it. Yeah, I'm going to sell it too. Adam Silver very lenient with this. I'm lost here with this, and
2: especially for a team like the Golden State Warriors, you're talking about a team that is the most, one of the most popular teams in the NBA. They're not going to want him to be that bad forever. Whether Draymond Green's an impact version for that or not is another question. But
1: what is the love fest for Draymond Green? Yeah, the league loves the Warriors. I think they're going to want to try to save
2: him, make sure they're in the playoffs. Save what? They I- should trade
1: Trey. <laughs> I mean, they should trade uh, trade everybody. Wiggins, trade Seth. I mean, you, I, I'm Steph. Straight Steph. I, I think Steph would be your biggest option because you could get the most for him. All I don't right. know.
2: I, I don't think that's going to happen, but the, the Warriors are definitely not going to be the same team they once were, even if they do make the play in game. So I am going to sell that one. All right, back to football. Both Tyreek Hill and CD
1: Lamb will have over 115 receiving yards and a touchdown. I'm going to sell that. I don't believe CD Lamb will. I think Tyreek will. He's. Every single game, he has over 100 yards. I expect him in this game to have over 100 yards. He is an MVP candidate. CeeDee Lamb, uh, this is a pretty good defense, especially a secondary. And I, Jalen Ramsey loves to put up a lot of pressure and open up his big mouth. I think he's going to get under CD Lamb's, uh, I don't know, is going to get under C.D. Lamb, so I am going to sell that. I'm going to sell it too. I actually don't think
2: either one of them do because Tyree Hill actually uh, has had struggles over the year against Stephon Gilmore when Gilmore was with the Patriots. I different think different team, different team for no, no doubt. I think you look at that kind of thing making a difference, and I think the C.D. Lamb, like you were saying, against Jalen Ramsey, I think you look at the the matchup for him. Jalen Ramsey's more physical corner. I think it'll be harder for him. So I don't think either one of them get him. Touchdowns very fluky. I am going to sell that one. All right, let's go to the NHL. Both the Rangers and the Islanders will be 1-2
1: in the Metropolitan Division at the end of the calendar year. I am going to buy it. Okay, I, I really am. I, I think right now the Rangers are not going to lose first place, but I think the Islanders right now are starting to play back and forth hockey. They win a game or they win two games, they lose a game or they lose two games and they win two games. I think the Islanders will stay consistent. And by the way, the schedule gets a little bit easier. So I, I do believe, but I do buy that the Rangers and the Islanders will be one and two. At the end of the calendar year. Yeah, I'll
2: buy it. Yeah, I'm going to buy it, too, because I don't trust the Capitals. They're hot right now. They're getting good goaltending. Ryan Lindgren's brother, Charlie, playing very well in net, but they don't score anything. And I don't trust the Flyers to stay this hot forever. They're a nice little streak ever since being the first team to lose to the Sharks. They've been playing very well, but I don't think it lasts for them either.
1: I am going to. What's going on with the Sharks? How are they <laughs> winning? And I, this is ridiculous. Yeah, they just beat Vegas. Too. They have oh, nobody, damn. and they're finding a way to win. Who's their coach right now? The great David Quinn. <laughs> David Quinn and they're winning games. Doesn't make sense.
2: About time, but nevertheless, I'm going to buy that as well. All right, by ourselves, the Knicks will trade both Quentin Grimes and Emmanuel
1: Quigley at the trade deadline. It seems like that's going to happen. I'm going to buy it. I, I think the Knicks are going to go after either Cat or Donovan Mitchell. I think they could go after both of them, but it makes a lot of sense right now with Cat, especially Minnesota right now is in first place in the West. If they fall off, especially by the trade deadline, which I believe they will. I can't see them playing this well. Uh, as the season moves forward, and Edwards always gets hurt, so I am going to buy it. I think they're going to trade both of them. Yeah, I'm going to buy it too. I think I, I think the Donovan Mitchell rumors too still could be in play
2: for that kind of thing. I know the Cavs are saying right now they're not going to do it. I still can believe that if the Knicks are offering one of those two guys, Grimes has a lot of upside and quickly who's played really well this year, I, it might be hard, too hard for the Cavs to pass up on that kind of thing, even if they have to sweeten the deal. And like you said, they're still going to be in the market for a lot of different big men. If it's not Cat, I definitely still believe they're going to go after a four that has a lot of skill like that, even if Minnesota does. Say good, so I am going to buy that. All right, buy or sell. Yamamoto will lead the Dodgers in ERA, whip, and
1: strikeouts in his rookie season. I'm going to sell it. I don't. I think Walker Bueller will be the best pitcher for the Dodgers this year. Especially if he's healthy. I think he's sensational. I, he was one of the best pitchers internationally before he got hurt. I expect him to continue. Yamamoto is going to take him a lot of groaning for growing pains. Teams are going to want to hit against him as everybody thinks he's the next dominant Japanese pitcher. So I am going to sell that. Yeah, I'm going to sell it too. Also, don't rule out Glasnow either, who's a
2: good strikeout guy as well to lead in that category. If he's healthy, his peak years have been very good With the, even when he was with the Pirates as a young but especially with the Rays and then Walker Bueller. I love Walker Bueller. I think he'll come back just fine as well. So I'm going to sell that. All right, one more. Robert
1: Sala will be fired at the end of the season. You would hope, but as long as Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback of that team, that's not going to happen. Maybe if Mike Tomlin becomes available, I still don't believe that's going to happen by Pittsburgh. He'll find a way to be 500 as he has all the last 13, 15 years he's been over there with Pittsburgh. So i I'm going to sell that. I think Robert Sala will be there at least one more year. Yeah, I'm going to sell that one, too. I just don't know who
2: else would like – Bill Belichick's not going to go to the Patriots or go to the Jets no. by any means. I mean, you're going to go after, uh, who are these other big-name coaches that could be available? The Jets are not going to go for Jim Harbaugh. They're not going to do anything like that, so I don't see any Well, reason. they might. They might go after Jimmy. I, 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 the Jets will definitely pay up for that kind of thing. I just don't know if Jim Harbaugh, that's the type of team he's going to be. Able I don't to know coach. if Aaron wants going to be. I don't, I, don't think, think so I don't
1: think Aaron Rodgers is going to want to play with him.
2: No, I, I think Aaron Rodgers, who's kind of an ego in himself, Jim Harbaugh's a huge hothead <laughs> that definitely wants to put his uh, stamp on a team. I don't think the Jets make a lot of sense for that kind of thing. I just don't see what's available right now that's going to be up there. I think there's obviously Robert Salas on the hot seat to start the year. No question, he'll get, that, he'll get that chance. As Nathaniel Hackett, they brought him in for Aaron Rodgers, but I do think he'll get one more year to give him the injury pass for the time being. Even though the defense uh, the defense has been great, even though they haven't been great the last three years. Jeff Ulbrich. Uh, Jeff Ulbrich is still, if he's not poached by another team, will still be there. I don't think he will be, but you look at You think think
1: he's going to get a job, No, I don't think he's going to get a job. No, I don't. I don't think he's good enough. Too many big names that are going to be
2: available this offseason. Plus, the track record for defensive head coaches has not been great recently, outside of Demeka Ryan's with Houston. I think it's going to make it harder for that kind of thing. Plus, he's not a really good in-game adjustment guy, so I think all the guys are going to be back for at least one more year. If it still doesn't work, then everyone will be gone after that. So I am going to sell
1: that. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. I hope everybody has a merry, merry Christmas. It is going to be a nice couple of days. Sunday's going to be nice. Monday is going to be nice. It's going to be closer to the 50s. So it's not in the 20s like Friday was. All right, it's not going to be like really low 40s like Saturday. I just want to give a shout out to every single fan out there. Merry mm-hmm. Christmas Happy New Year. Make sure that your kids are happy. Make sure that everybody's happy and they're around family. It's a nice day to, you know, look at the kids' faces and the cookies being eaten by Santa Claus. I'd like to thank all the people, all the, the fans that listen to our show throughout the country on 103.9. We're on iHeartRadio uh, everybody that enjoys sports radio and enjoys us. We really appreciate you guys. We we want to be the voices of New York sports. I hope everybody are enjoying who we are on the radio and we, we love to Entertain you guys. Yeah. But uh, Merry Christmas.
2: Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to all. I hope everyone's enjoying themselves with their family. For all those people having a, a difficult Christmas yeah. and lost, lost a family member, they're uh, struggling right now. We're thinking of you as well. Hopefully Absolutely. you can uh, try to get through everything and have a positive holiday in yourself as well. Everyone that's sick right now, I know our friend Chaz is dealing with COVID. Uh, been as dealing well as with it. His wife, I, had the flu I know. All yeah, week. You've had the flu all week. Everyone that, I don't even know how to get through this show. Yep. Yeah, everyone that's uh, just uh, dealing with some tough times right now, we're definitely thinking of you this holiday season as well. Merry Merry Christmas and happy holidays. Hope it's hopefully it's fun for everybody and Definitely thank you to 103.9 FM for giving us this great opportunity all year long to do what we do best. We love it. We support everything that you guys do, and we're
1: glad that you made us a part of this wonderful network. And family. Thank you to Neil Smith, uh, 1994 GM for the New York Rangers for joining us, and New York Islanders GM for a very little bit of time. Thank you, Mike Milbury, for (laughs) just pissing us off. And all the guys from our Moneyline Mania, they're fantastic. 77.6% this year. Who's better than them? You guys should be listening to that segment. If you're a betting person or a betting man, betting woman, uh, you like to make money, you should be cashing those tickets, ladies and gentlemen. But we'll be back next week, uh, New Year's Eve, New Year's. Stay warm and enjoy everything for Christmas. And make sure Santa Claus doesn't crush your chimney. Good night, everybody. And to all, a good night.